Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. Job, Job, however you say it, it's a rough read. I'm just going to be honest. Has anybody been uh, struggling through the last week of the reading plan? I'm going to be honest. I did. Apparently, I'm the only one. All right. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate that. Yeah, make me feel all by myself up here. Um, anyways, what, what your reading plan has been doing is in Job, and Andrew did a phenomenal job of starting Job out, and, and if you didn't listen to it, I highly recommend finding it, listening to it. There's a lot of freedom in it. There's a lot of like, wow, I guess I've never looked at it that way, and I cried a pretty good, <laughs> there's a surprise, I cried. I cried a decent amount during the message. I think my wife even said, are you okay? And it's just, but there is that, that suffering and that there's so much unexplained and there's so much, and I just love how he dealt with that. Um, but if you have your Bible, uh, turn to Job chapter 2, and we're going to kick it off there. Job chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 11. I'm going to talk a lot about friendship today, but uh, first, happy Mother's Day! Yeah, I think moms are a big deal. I'm a big fan. So, you know, so hopefully you've wished someone a happy Mother's Day today and reach out, love on people and, and so on and so forth. And, and hopefully you got some cookies. I, I was thinking, even if, like Kristen said, even if you didn't like cookies, you know, I'm sure there's a guy on the stage right now that likes a cookie. So you can just, you can, we can just do a thing at the end of the service and like, like lay your cookie at the altar type of thing, you know, and I'll just... Just, yes, yes, this is good, right? God is good. Um, someone in your life will like that cookie. So if you didn't get one, they're still out there. We're pretty excited about cookies around here. Um, so let's just pray. We'll go from that to prayer. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for my friends. I thank you, God, for the word of God. As difficult as it is sometimes, I thank you uh, for the book of Job. I thank you, Jesus, for sure for the mothers in here and ask a special blessing on them. It's kind of a crappy day, Lord, with the weather and all, but we're not complaining. We're just saying, I still thank you and we rejoice and we just ask a special blessing on moms, a special blessing on this service. Uh, just be here with us, Lord. Lift our hearts. I feel like that, Lord, even first service. I'm gonna ask you, Lord Jesus, this is, a, this is some heavy message stuff, but lift our hearts and put our eyes upon you. And help us to know that you are near. As we gather together, as we learn your word, that you are here, working, moving. And we rejoice in that. And we praise you for that. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so Job chapter 2 through chapter 37 is what they call the speeches. Okay, so the speeches are basically Job and his friends basically arguing and arguing and arguing about, Job, you're a sinner, you did something wrong, and, and Job's like, no, I didn't, I did not, and it's, it's a lot of that, and there's like three phases of that. But Job has three friends that show up on the scene, and then another guy named Elihu, but his friends are, excuse me, I drank a lot of coffee, so I can kind of get amped up here, <laughs> so now I'm burping. 
Uh, his fr- three friends are Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And then the guy that came with him is Elihu. And he was a younger man. And, and if you read it, you'll see he just, he had to, he had to put his two cents in there as well. Um, so if you read this, or if you know this story, I would like to present this question to you. Do you think Job's friends were good, good friends, or bad friends? So raise your hand if you thought they were good friends, all right? Raise your hand if you kind of thought they were bad friends. Raise your hand if you just don't care about this stupid question. There you go, huh? All right. <laughs> a lot of you guys were afraid to raise your hand. It wasn't a trick question, man. It's like, but here's the idea. I'd say the answer is this. I'd say yes and yes. They were both good friends of Job, but they were also maybe not good comforters. John wrote a, writes a letter for our church, and he wrote about the friends um, in the church letter. If you get a chance, read it. And he calls them, I think he calls them, I wrote it down, uh, miserable comforters. So Job's friends show up on the scene, but let's be honest, they were pretty miserable comforters. They, they didn't really help Job feel very good, and they were, you could almost put them as accusers, I think, too. They were just accusatory. They didn't believe their friend Job. Um, but let's read this, and let's jump into it. So Job chapter 2, verse 11 is where we're going to kick it off. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, Zophar, the Namathite. I say it really fast, so it sounds like I said it right, don't I? They, they made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. They raised their voices and wept. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was great. Okay? So let's start out with this. Job's friends did a lot good. They did a lot of good things here. I will say this. If you have some friends like Job's friends, you got good friends. Because this is what I asked first service. Like, number one, look at what they did in, in verse 11. They made an appointment together. So here these are. These are pretty well-to-do bosses, if you will, men of, of well-respect. They're very well, and they're older. They made arrangements to go to their friend together. That doesn't just happen. This wasn't just a, a spurt of the moment. They planned. So they cared enough about Job to do that. Then it says to come show him sympathy and comfort him. Their intentions were all good. Their intentions were all right. They wanted to come and help their friend. They wanted to do the good friend thing. And it says that when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. They raised their voices and wept. You don't weep about people you don't care about. These men cared about their friend Job. They saw, they hurt. His pain became their pain, right? Andrew talked about that last week with Jesus, the Jesus wept, right? He, he, he felt the pain. So these are, these are good friends. These are not bad friends. Then they tore their robes. So they repented and they mourned and they broke down with him. And then it says in 13, and they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. If you, if you have friends in your life that when you're going through something that would come to your house and sit with you seven days and seven nights and not say a word, let me tell you something, friends. You got good friends, right? So I believe these guys get a little bit of a bad rap. I really do. That's some good friends. That's, I want people like that when I'm going through something that they'll give up time, they'll give up their money, they'll give up their peace and, their pay, and they'll come join me in my suffering. That's good, right? And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights and then in their time, this is the big idea. 
when you, someone was going through something really heavy, you would sit and mourn with them and you would not speak till they spoke, okay? So that's what happens. And in the seven nights, no one spoke a word to him for they saw that his suffering was great. Now, so many of us suffer the same thing that these three guys suffered is you do a really good job in your friendships until you open your mouth, right? Am I the only one that has a big stupid mouth that says stupid things sometimes? No, I think we all do. So they were doing so good helping Job, loving Job, serving Job until they opened their mouth. And, and I can relate. I sometimes like, man, I was really doing great. And then I open my mouth and say something stupid, right? So church, I want, you, I want you to open up your mind. I want you to open up your spirit. I want you to hear a couple questions as I go through the next teaching You have to hear this and you have to kind of self-analyze. Number one is this. What kind of friend are you? Let's take the focus off these guys and let's put the focus on you. What kind of friend are you in this church and in your circle? Now, let me ask you this. What kind of friends do you have? What's your friend circle look like? What's your circle of influence? I want you to think on these things. Just pause there while I take a sip. Okay? Now, I'm going to dig into some things that biblical friendship, what the Bible says, some takeaways, some hopefully helpful, and some things that are going to be a little bit like, ouch. So hang in there. Just just love me through it, okay? But I wrote these things down, so this is a little bit of a Jeremiah teaching. Woo, hang in there when we say that. The six S's of biblical Christian friendship. And you're thinking, what's the six mean? Why not five? Why not seven? I don't know. Because <laughs> really, six is about all we have time for. I mean, I could keep going. And then I made it S's because there's a few things I'm like, ooh, that needs to be said. So I just kept it simple. And I said, we're just going to make them all S's, right? And so don't, don't, think, don't go too deep with Jeremiah, okay? Just, just take it as it comes. But the number one thing, number one point, if you take notes, of, of friendship and how, or how are we as a friend? How are our friend circles? Let me ask you this. How are you? I mean, first, just, just think there. Are you a good friend? Are you a bad friend? Now we jump in. One, you got to seek, okay? You got to seek. That's the number one. You're thinking, what? You got to seek good friendship, okay? Have you and are you and do you seek good godly friends, okay? Do you see the need? Do you see the need for good godly friends in your life? Okay. Hebrews 10, 24 says that, 24 through 25 says this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Do you have friends in your life? And are you a friend that does this? Do you go around stirring up love and good works in your circles, in your influences, in your friendships? Do you have people in your life that do this to you, that stir up, that, that, that stir up one another to love and good works? Yeah, now we're seeing where we're going with this. 25, not neglecting to meet together. If you have a friend and friends and you don't meet together, you're really not that good of friends. Friends meet. Friends eat. And friends drink together, along with other things. But those are some pretty simple ideas there, okay? And he says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Do you seek friends out that encourage you? 
And, and do you have friends that you are an encouragement to? Do you seek this type of friendship? Are you this type of friend? Okay. One another. All the more you see the day drawing near, understanding that the day is drawing near. Now look at Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Two are better. You don't have to turn there. These are just, I'm going to pump through these. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. 10, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Do you have friends that will lift you up when you fall? Are you a friend to those that will fall? That's what I said. What's your friendships look like? How do, they be, how do you behave within them? But then he says, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. There's this idea in Christianity, especially among men, and I'm going to just step on some toes, but I'm going to say it in love. Men have a tendency to think, I don't need friends. I got my Jesus, I got my family, and I'm good. And I would say, if you got your Jesus, you hang out with Jesus. And when you hang out with Jesus, you start to see that Jesus wants you to care about what he cares about. You know what he cares about most? People, friendship, relationships. Jesus is a relational guy. So people that want to just go build a house on a mountain and never talk and never be around people and never, how how is that loving Jesus? He's relational. And if he's your best friend, you have to grow in relational. I know that's difficult for some people to hear. You need friends. You don't need a lot, but you need some. Amen? Okay, you guys, we'll get there. Maybe we won't. But there's a quote by Zig Ziglar. He says, if you are going to look for a friend, you're going to find they're very scarce. Listen to that. If you're going to go look for a friend, that this is how we become and grow in friends. If you go out to be a friend, you'll find them everywhere. For some of you, you don't have a lot of friends because you're just not friendly. Man that has a lot of friends shows himself friendly is another scripture. You need friends. Not just any friends. You need godly company. You need people that will hold you to the, and you're going to see this as I preach this. You need people that love you, that'll tell you the truth, that'll walk with you, that'll live, that, that live life with you. You need this. Every one of you that, that confesses Christ, you need this. You need this. Don't, don't, don't say you don't. Number two point on the S's of biblical friendship is, it's a big deal. It's sever, okay? Sever. What I mean by this is you got to cut off, break, stop old friendships and lifestyles. First, it's not always negative. It it has a tendency to, and I'm going to go into the the severing because of the negative stuff. But there's also severing good friendships that were for a season. I have been a part of multiple churches, and I've led or served in different capacities. And in those seasons, I became really good friends with certain people. And then the season moved on. I'm still friends with those people. Don't get me wrong. But it's a different season. I can't be as close as I used to be. I can't be connected to them as tight as I used to be. In fact, I believe the Lord wants me to move on and connect to new friends. And we have a tendency to feel bad about that. I don't want those. Those are my friends forever. So then we do this whole idea, right? Keeping the CPR, keep it alive. Keep the friendships alive. Keep the old. We had such a good time 20 years ago. Why is it not going so well? Maybe it's not going so well because you're in a new season and you need new friends. It's not always a negative thing. It's sometimes seasonal thing. And where are you now? 
So are you one of those people holding on to high school buddies, college buddies, and it's okay to have them. I got guys that I've been friends with for 20 plus years and we're good friends, but I don't, I, I don't meet with them on a regular basis because number one, they live all over the country. But where I'm at now in Cobblestone, I came in here a few years ago and I started saying, what friends are in here? How can, who can I draw close to here? Because I believe the Lord wants me to have friendships where I'm at. Okay? So sometimes it is seasonal. And sometimes you just got to be honest with those friends and just cut those things and say, we're just keeping something alive that's not working so well. Okay? And that's a loving thing. That's not a bad thing. Sever. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this. In, in the spirit of Mother's Day, we probably all heard this. If you're not a mom that doesn't know this scripture, you need to learn it and you need to yell it at your kids a lot. Okay? 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Right? Bad company ruins good morals. Who you hanging around with makes you act a certain way, behave a certain way, talk a certain way, right? So, so bad company ruins good morals. And if you have that in your life, you need to sever it. You need to sever it. If you're the crowd you're around, the friends you're around, if you're the friend that's bringing everybody down, you know what I mean? You need to sever that. Maybe sever the attitude even, right? Maybe sever the, the, the walk. Now look at Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Whoever walks with the wise become wise. Do you consider your friends and your friend circle wise? If they're not wise, why are you hanging with them? I mean, I mean well, I like them, and we play video games together, or we hunt together, or we drink beer together, whatever. I get there's many reasons to have many friendships, but there needs to be a circle in your life that is wisdom. And, and what, what's, the, what's the beginning of wisdom? Say loud and proud. Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what it means there is you need people in your life that fear God, that have that wisdom, and you surround yourself, and you'll find whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. You ever heard the saying, show me your five closest friends and I'll show you where you're going? Right? It's true. Who are you surrounding yourself with? If I want to be a good, wise businessman, I find good, wise businessmen to be around. If I want to be a good dad, I find good dads to be around. If I want to be a, a Christian that lives right, walks right, talks right, guess what? Same principle. I surround myself with men of God that think and walk and, and believe in the same things I do because I want to be wise. I want to be wise. Do you? But the companion of fools, and in the Old Testament, fools means godless. Fool is a godless person, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Ooh, okay, I want that. All right, so it's going to get a little heavy on this one, but, but we, got to, we got to go into it because in the spirit of severing friendships, the Bible talks about it. So go to Titus chapter 3, verse 9, and, and hang in there. Titus chapter 3, 9 through 11. But avoid, oh, he's, he's, yeah, yeah. But, 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 but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. This is in their day. For they are unprofitable and worthless. 10. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. 
knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Now, for sure, this is to Titus. This is from Paul. Titus is one of the leaders. This is probably to be taken in the context of leadership, but I think it also bears some, some help in friendship, okay? As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice. So what's, what's happening here? We, get, we sever a relationship. Have you ever had anybody in your life that's just always arguing, always angry, always disruptive? You're trying to help or love or lead people in Christ, and it's usually in the Christian circles because this is the context, and there's always somebody that wants to argue about Hebrew or Greek or this, and the, and the well, genealogies in their days, oh, Jews, this and that, and there's always somebody that wants to divide the group. This is what he's talking about. And in relationships, in friendships, sometimes you just got to deal with that person, and you warn them, and you say, you're not producing good fruit. You're just causing problems. You're argumentative. You're disruptive. You're, you're, you're under a spirit of division. And to be frank, God's not going to use that. And so you have to have this love and this depth and this friendship. And you talk to them in this manner. Okay? And you warn them once. There's love in this. We see it as a warning as, you better stop or I'm going to whip you. That's not what I think <laughs> Paul's referring to as a warning. I think it's a sit down, a coffee. Hey, here's what you're doing. Every time we get together, you're objecting or you're, you're saying we're not this or you're saying we're not that and you're just stirring trouble. Do you see this? Can you, can you, can you stop? You're being divisive. It takes a real loving relationship and conversation that needs to happen, doesn't it? Have you had this? Do you have friends like this on your friend circles? Are, have you ever had this conversation? If you're ever gonna lead anybody in Christ, growing up and, and teaching, I promise you, you have to be aware of this. These folks will show up in your small groups. These folks will show up in your churches. And to, they're to be loved. Make no mistake about it. Be, they even might be making good points that need to be heard. But if they just keep pushing on divisiveness and breaking the part of the body and the plan and the purpose, then there's a time, a, 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 an intimate conversation I would encourage one-on-one saying, you just got to go if you're not going to change. Hard. Christianity is not easy. I mean, these, these require us to have some tough conversations. All right, this is going to get even a little harder. 1 Corinthians 5, look at this one. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. I better hydrate for this one. All right. So he talks about leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. I'm not a great cook or anything like that, but I get the idea that some bad ingredients in the dough ruins the, the dough or the biscuits or whatever we're cooking, right? <laughs> that was great, wasn't it? Uh, but there's a warning here, okay? And in our friendships, in our friendships within the body of Christ, this is where it goes. And he says in verse 9, I write to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexual immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or an idolater, a reveler, a drunkard, or a swindler. Not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging outsiders is it not those inside the church 
whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. This is a very, very weighty verse. This has to be handled very cautiously, very gentle, and very kind. This could, be, this could turn into all sorts of issues. But there is truth in here that Paul is teaching the Corinthians that sometimes, and he says, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy swindlers, idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. There is a brother or a sister who confesses Christ that is chosen or choosing to live in a sinful lifestyle, be it idolatry, be it chasing money, be it in some sort of sexual uh, sin. And they, they say, I'm a Christian and I'm going to live this way. And you're supposed to have a conversation with that person. And what do you tell them? Right? What do you tell them? This is, okay, it's not our non-believing friends. Because he says that. It's not the non-believers. I guess I always said this when I did a lot of young life ministries. So sin or sin. If you don't love Jesus in here, you should be living it up. <laughs> there's a word. Um, if you don't love Jesus, you know, even Paul said, if there's no resurrection, you should be drinking and being merry. Man, you should be having the time of your life in the sinful fashion. But if you love Jesus, Jesus becomes number one. Therefore, we start to crucify, right? David talked about this a couple weeks ago. We pick up our cross, right? We count the cost. And sometimes in our Christian circles, we have people that start walking with Jesus and then they decide to say, I'm gonna go walk this way or that way. And we need to have conversations with them. Don't we? We need to warn them. We need to tell them. We need to lovingly walk with them. We need to say, Guys, I can't associate with you. Why? Because you're choosing a life of sin. Really? You can't associate with me? Yeah, because I love Jesus. And here's the big idea. It's not to condemn. Hear this. This is huge. It's not to condemn them. It's not to be a jerk to them. It's not to make them feel like trash. It's to bring them to repentance. Everything we do when, we, when it comes, it's to restore brothers and sisters. And this idea that Christianity is, I'm just going to put my head down and live my life quietly and silently and never confront my brothers and sisters. You're not being a very good friend if you have people that confess Christ and you're letting them live in these sinful ways. Did you hear me, church? This is a big deal. Jesus has a call on you to be a friend like this. If you got friends that are in your friend circle that you eat with or hang with and they're choosing sinful lifestyles, can you care enough about their relationship with Jesus to call them out? Call them out lovingly. Call them out kind. Don't talk like I'm talking. That wouldn't go well, right? But it has to happen. It has to. This is hard to hear, I know. This is like the stuff where you're like, I'd rather not say it. Well, I'd rather not say it either, but I'd rather not disappoint Jesus. And what's worse than an erring brother keep going down a path of sin because I didn't have the guts to say what God wanted me to say? Are we not all called? To, to be ambassadors, to be people that talk about restoration and healing. Blessed are those that bring back an erring brother, restore those, right? There's scriptures on this. Let me ask you again, how are your friendships? What kind of friend are you? Are you this type of friend? That's tough. And he says judge in there, right? I don't want to be the judgy friend. 
in the body of Christ, this has been so used and abused and mis misunderstood. As Jesus does say, judge not, lest you be judged. For what manner you judge, you will be judged. Something along those lines. I think I said it right. There's a lot of judging in there. And so people say, you Christian, you can't judge. In the body, in the body, in the confession, in the, in the believer's circle, we're allowed to judge each other. Listen, not to condemn, not to tear down, not to pick, but we're allowed to call each other out if if and I use Caleb first service, I'll use him again. If Caleb is not treating Lauren well, and I'm his brother in Christ, and I see that, I can judge that. I should judge that if I'm a friend at all and say, hey, dude, you are not taking care of your wife. I, she's going home crying, and you're not paying your bills, and you're just letting your kids. And do you guys see the power of judgment here? But if I just say, I'm not going to judge, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to live my life and ignore it, I'm not helping her, I'm not helping him, and I'm not serving him. It's to restore. It's love. I'm actually a real friend of them if I get involved like that. And I do it gently and kindly and all these things. Don't just yell at him. Caleb, you bump. No. But if I say, buddy, you're really missing the mark here. This is not what a man of God does. Can we talk about it? And he's like, yeah, I didn't really know she was hurting like this. And maybe I'll get her involved. And, and hopefully the whole point of this type of stuff is reconciliation. The whole point is repentance. The whole point is changing a course, bringing people back, right? That's the type of judging that's happened. And it's not, I'm going around looking at how, you know, if you got tattoos and, and, and if you, I saw you smoking a cigarette, you're a loser Christian. No, that's not the judge I'm talking about, right? I don't care. I don't care. But I, want to, I, I want to encourage this church. We want to encourage this church. That's the type of judging that has to happen, to help each other, to grow each other, to love each other, to be real friends. Can we do that? It's going to take a while. This is hard. I get it. It's, and it needs to be handled. I said this in my notes, and I mean this. This has to be handled so carefully, so delicately, so gently, so kindly, because we can miss the mark and quickly push people away. That is not the heart. We don't want to push people away, but we do want to enter into this type of relationship with our people and our friends. Amen? All right, everybody still love me? I know that was some heavy stuff. All right, number three is this. Hang in there. We're halfway through. It'll get easier. Submitted. <laughs> Maybe not. Submitted. Are you a friend who submits? Big scary word. <laughs> Andrew's like, no, yes. Yes, he is. <laughs> Are you a friend who submits? Do you have friends in your life you submit to? Right? Do you have brothers, if you're a man, do you have men in your life where you go and you say, call me out? Is this right? Is this wrong? Call me out. I'm, I'm, I'm trusting. If you're a woman, do you, have, do you have other women that love Jesus and follow the Bible? Don't, don't find other women that don't love Jesus and don't follow the Bible because that will not end in a good result. Because and you're like, how do I love my husband? Am I right here? Am I wrong here? What, should he, should I, how should I serve him? How should I be this? Do we have this? Are we living a submitted life one to another? Are we submitting one to another? Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Are you a friend and a Christian who listens to advice and accepts instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future? I want to be this guy. I want to walk this out. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 says, Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Friendship. What kind of friends are we? Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. 
Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of the enemy. If you're a real friend and you see him or her going down a path, remember the bruises of the wound, right? We, we, sometimes you just, especially in men's worlds, sometimes you just got to like grab them and, you know, that's me like throwing them to the ground. It never happens. I'm not throwing anybody. But sometimes you just have to have those tough conversations, right? Are you that type of friend? Or are you the friend that says, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to let them live how they're, it's not my business. That's how we have a tendency doing. What kind of friends are we? Okay. The fourth is the servant in your friendships. Are you a servant? Do you have servants in your life? Do you have friends that serve you? And are you serving friends? Look at Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. This is a very good one. I encourage you to read it, pray it. Because you'll have to, you'll have to use this a lot. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. There's huge right there. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit or pride. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not out only for his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In your friendships, in your relationships, in your homes, are you behaving like that? Can you honestly say, I'm doing things not from selfish ambition? What do I get out of this friendship? Sometimes friendships cost you stuff. Time, energy, patience, peace, right? But sometimes, it's, it's, well, it's for me. And yeah, you need some help. You need people in your life. I get that. So there is some of that. But don't do it from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Every Christian in this room, every believer, we need to do this. When you, when you live this week, are you asking this question, am I counting others more significant than myself? Do I care about other people's interests? Are they, do I care what's happening to Grover? Do I care what's going on in his life? Or is it like, Grover, I only want this. You know, you meet me, you help me. It starts with caring. It starts with asking. It could start with spending time again, right? Are you that type of friend? Servant friends. Galatians 5. You go over there with me. Galatians 5, verse 13. Galatians 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So in Christ, we got a lot of freedoms. And praise God for that. We're not living under this law. We're not living under all these things. It's, it's, it's really like, you know, hey, Jesus, sum up the law, you know? Love the Lord God with all your heart. Love your brother like yourself, right? So there's a lot of freedom in this. But he's, but this, this say, are we, are we doing this? Are we using our freedom? Are we using what God has given us? Are we using it to, through love, serving one another? Are we serving one another? Are you serving one another? For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
And I like this because he tags it right on in there. What's the opposite will happen in your life and in your church and in your circle? What will happen if you aren't doing the love and the serving one another? 15 will happen. If you don't love and pursue and seek and do all that other stuff, 16 will happen. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. I talked about this first service. When you're lifting someone up in prayer, it's really hard to tear them down with a critical spirit. We all need a dose of this. If I'm honest, the body of Christ has taken on culture. The world is highly divided, is it not? Everybody wants to fight about everything. Everybody wants to argue about everything. Everybody wants to devour and tear and ah! But the body of Christ, we're not supposed to be that way. But yes, somehow we're letting that come in our house. We're letting that come into our life. We've become critical and we tear and we devour and we play, we, 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 I'll show them. That's me typing very quickly in my dad. Me typing and be like, Heather, type this. But are you? How are you doing with this? Are you a servant? Are you loving one another? Are you, are you willing to say, you know what? I don't need to win the argument. Jesus knows. Oh, if we can get this. We'll see greater fruit. We'll see greater fruit. Now I'm gonna step into this a little harder. Five, speaking. What comes out of our mouth is so vital to our friendships. What we say. Job's friends were doing so good, were they not? Until they started speaking. Daggone it. They were great. And they opened their mouth. And they started, what? What did they do? They started accusing. They started saying this and that and a lot of untruths about God and God's way he operates. Some true, some untrue. But they were like, we're so right. We're so right. Turns out they weren't. But 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another, build one another up just as you are doing. The Thessalonian church understood this. Paul compliments them. He saw it. He points out and he says, therefore encourage one another and build one another up. That's what they were doing. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? Read uh, Ephesians 4. Let's go there. Ephesians 4, 29. Ephesians 4, 29. We are about done. Hang in there. Ephesians 4, 29. Oh, Jesus, help us. Out of our mouths. Let no corrupt talk or corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such, such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let's just stop there and look at that. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. How's your friendships going now? How many of us, if we're 100% honest, we've had a lot of corrupting talk come out of our mouths in the last week, last day? How many of us have tore somebody down, beat somebody up, devoured something, some situation, some, and just, just because I'm an American. I don't know. I don't know why we do it. Why are we doing this? But he says, but only such is good for building up. Well, then Jeremiah, I don't ever get to get my point across. If I'm only building up, I never get to tear down. Maybe that's the big idea. Maybe your point doesn't need to be getting across. I say that in love, but maybe you don't need to win an argument. Maybe you don't need to be right. Maybe you need to be kind and gentle and allow Jesus to fight your battles. This is tough, I told you, I warned you. As fits the occasion that it may give grace. What's coming out of my mouth? Am I giving grace to those who, who hear? Grace is a beautiful thing, isn't it? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. 
Yeah, Jeremiah, they needed a butt kicking from me out of my mouth. Grace. No, they needed, a, they needed somebody to sound like Jesus. They need you to sound like Jesus. We need you to sound like Jesus. I want to sound like Jesus. Yes, Jesus speaks truth. But Jesus didn't just go around trying to win arguments and fighting the battle. I'm, he, in fact, he was quiet, right? Gentle. Spoke when he needed to speak. It was truth. How, how, how's your mouth, guys? This is, this is the, we're, we're, as the body of Christ, in, at least in the world I'm seeing, we're not doing good with this. Not just cobblestone as a whole. We're not doing real good with this. We speak first, think later. A lot of damage is being done. Uh, and as far as I'm in this church, I'm hoping to help us start, stop that. May it give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed if for the day of redemption. You have this beautiful opportunity, and this is, this is help. This isn't just all me telling you guys to stop talking mean. This is help. Notice that. He said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He brings the Holy Spirit involved because here's how you can really start working on your mouth. Lord, convict me when I gossip. Lord, convict me when I tear down. Lord, convict me when I'm being judgy. Lord, raise the level of conviction inside of me so that I will shut this up and stop tearing down people. Amen? You have him. Revelation, it's a beautiful thing. You have the Holy Spirit if you love Jesus. And why are we not using him? I know this. I live this. I have, I have left situations, sat in my car, and the Holy Spirit says, you shouldn't have said that. You owe an apology. You were being judgy. I one time said to my son, and this is, this is just confession time because I have these battles. My, I'm, I played basketball, and basketball was my thing. I have this kind of like a, a past. It's, it's, it's pretty crucified, but a bit of an ego with some of that. My son was sitting on the bench, seventh grade. He's freshman now. It's been a couple years ago. Drive, he sat at the bench, and I just gave him this alpha male, stupid conversation that I don't believe, but I did at the time. And I said, Jesse, you know what, dude? You get out there. You, you got to the, think you're the best player on the court. You got to have the attitude. You got to go after it. You, you, your buddies, they can be your buddies off the court, but you are competitive. You're going to win. You're going to, I mean, I gave him all this, bleh, right? All this alpha male competitive drive. You fight for it and you win. And who cares at all costs? And I was laying down and I grieved the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm getting at. Didn't think much of it. Probably high-fived myself. Yeah, Jeremiah, way to go. You really did a good job coaching him. <laughs> I laid down. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. Oh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> My small group, we kind of have a little bit of a bet. But I laid down, and the Holy Spirit said to me right there, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? what you just told your son. I had to apologize to him. The next day I said, dude, just whatever I said, that was, that was flesh. It was pride. It was ego. It was me with my past hurts and my competitiveness nature, putting it on you. And the Holy Spirit was grieved at what I said to my son. Is the Holy Spirit grieved at what you say to your friends, to your family? Allow him to invade your talk. We have to get these mouths up better under control. We're ripping, we're devouring, we're tearing down. We have to. We gotta help our youth. 
I see it all the time raising my kids. They're, they're so quick because of the immaturity and because of their youthfulness. They're so quick to judge and tear. We live in a world where bullying's so bad, you know, and it's true and it shouldn't be, but they're all being bullied some way, shape, or form. It's, it's just how we do. It's our nature, right? Amen? Let the Holy Spirit convict you. You have him. I have him. Allow him to just say, hey, help me, Holy Spirit. I'm not good at this. I gossip too much. I tear people down too much. I have a critical spirit. So every time this comes out of my mouth, will you bring conviction to my heart? Isn't that the cool part? See, you're not alone. We're all in this together. We're all messing up. We're all dropping the ball. We're all like, whoops. Bring the Holy Spirit. Invite him and say, make it more. More conviction, more conviction for my eyes, more conviction for my mouth, more conviction for my ears. I start watching that show or I start listening to that song or I say, bring conviction. This church, I pray we are a church that starts saying, Holy Spirit, convict us more. We want it. We want it. We need it. We want to be more like Jesus, so we need it. We can't do it on our own. All right? Let all bitterness, 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. How do we do that? How do you do that? How do you get rid of that stuff? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. We have to. We have to. You have a mandate to do that, to live that, to walk that out. Some of you just got to let some stuff go. This scripture, I hope, moves on some of you guys. You're like, I've been, I've been stewing, and I've been thinking what I was going to say. I was gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show them. I even got an email race in. I'm ready, man. The gun's loaded, right? And you, some of you just need to hear this and say, you know what? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Keep your eyes on what he did and receive that and pass that along because Jesus doesn't have a nasty email headed your way. Think about that. Jesus isn't texting you something nasty. Jesus, he's in, in fact, he's the opposite. He's on the Father. He's sitting in the Father. He's, he's, he's interceding for you. He's saying, Father, forgive them. Oh, they're young. Oh, they messed up. Oh, they said something they shouldn't. So be gracious. I'll be gracious. I love them. I'm for them. They'll get there. He's given that to you. Why can't you give that to them? God help us. God help us. And the final point is number six is the Savior. The most important point is the Savior. Your friendship with God is vital. If you have good friendships with people, it doesn't matter if you don't have a good friendship with God. You need this. And honestly, out of his relationship with you, you'll be a better friend to everybody around you. You really will. Job 42, um, we don't have to go there, but the, the, the big idea is this. Job, and I love it, listen to this this week. I think it's on this week's reading plan where God and Job are having this conversation. And I didn't, I didn't read it. I just audioed it. And just in audio, I could feel the weight and the holiness and the power of who God is. So Job's sitting here, and he has all, right, lost 10 kids. His body's broken. His riches are gone. There's a guy could say, what are you doing? It's not fair. God shows up. and God doesn't even address that. God goes into basically, who basically helped the waters know where to stop? The bears know how to go this. Leviathan, he talks in some interesting ways. But the point is, God showed how he has, has woven everything. He showed he is a designer and a planner and a provider, and he is amazing. His, his, his providence is insane. 
he basically sits eye to eye with Job and lets Job know, this is who I am. Do you really want to complain? You know what Job says? No. I'm done. And in fact, you'd think God would repent to Job by the story. You'd think that. Job repents to God. Because when you're in the presence of God, your problems, your tough times, they're not that big of a deal. I know I'm not downplaying what you're going through, but when you're in the presence of God, when you set your eyes on him and who he is and his, his, his incredible, you're in awe. And Job even says, I repent, God. I'll cover my mouth. And he did. And here's the other cool part. Job now, and God looks at his friends and he says, he says, you guys were wrong. You represented me wrong. And you need to repent. Because they didn't, they didn't believe Job. They were lying, not necessarily lie lying, but they were accusing God of something he didn't do. Okay? But here's the cool part. Job is the kind of friend I want to be. Job didn't get mad at these guys, and he didn't say, burn them up, God. And his, he sits with God. He has got captivated eyes on the Lord. And so he's able, and God says, Job, go sacrifice for those guys. And he actually tasks Job to go and do the work so his friends have no sin or guilt. Isn't that cool? Like there's no more, I'm holding a grudge, I'm upset. Those boys all argued and fought. But at the end of the day, God brought peace to him and his friends. And sometimes that's what it takes, isn't it? Sometimes we argue, we fight, we push. But God, when we get our eyes set on God and we listen to him, and we get the Savior and the relationship part, all of a sudden we're always like, what were we fighting about? What were we fighting about? Was it a big deal? No, because God's good. That's, the, that's, that's what Christianity, that's why we gather, that's why we worship. We're trying to refocus our eyes all the time on, on, his, on his awesomeness, on his omnipotence, on his beauty, on his, whoa, right? I'll just say, whoa, get that. Stay there. Fix your focus on him, and your friendships and stuff will fall on the right. Uh, I'm going to close with this. Worship team's going to come and uh, sing some songs and pray and do all sorts of cool things. But you, you got to hear this because this is, this is the, the most important relationship part of this message is John 15. John 15, verse 12. And this is our, my best friend, Jesus. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Guys, listen, Jesus laid down his life for you, his friends. Listen to this. Receive this. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I'm not allowed to say that. You're not allowed to say that. He's allowed to say that. Do you hear what he's saying? You love Jesus if you follow him. This idea that I'm going to do what, he says, if you do what I command. You are my friends if you do what I command you. If you're not doing what Jesus commanded, are you really his friend? I know that's weighty. I know that like hurts, but are you? Will you? Please do this. Become a friend with Jesus and obey him. Lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. In their day, the people that would surround the rabbi, they would call them like they'd, they'd be considered servants or slaves or something along those lines. 
And even in, in this context, he's bringing them up to where they had no place. Jesus constantly did this, didn't he? He broke rules. He brought people up to places that they had no business being. And he, he did this to those guys. And he brings you into this friendship. And he brings me into this friendship when we receive him. And he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you so that you will what? Love one another. If you don't think loving one another is a big deal to Jesus, you haven't read what Jesus said. Guys, it's how we show her the body, how we love one another. And it's going to be a process, Cobblestone. We're going to have to work on it all the time. We're going to have to crucify our flesh all the time. We're going to have to talk through things, walk through things, pray through things, confess things. It is not an easy process. It's easy to say and hard to do. Listen, it's easy to say and it's hard to do, but we can do it through the, through the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. He can walk us through this and we can be that church and we can be the church that he says, those people love one another. They work it out, they talk it out, and they pray it out. So here's a couple questions I'm going to set on you. Are you Jesus' friend? Are you Jesus' friend? Are you around the right friends? Are you around the right friends? Are you being the right kind of friend? Do you need to find new friendships? Connect to us. If you're a woman looking for connection and friendships and you, you are, you're able to go to the fireside chat, that's why we do this stuff. Sometimes it's like we do all this scheduling and all this and Kristen's giving all these announcements. Like, guys, we're not doing it because we just want to fill our schedule because we're boring. We're doing it so that we can help people get new friends, right? We can help people connect and meet new people and get away from some old things and start being around people that love Jesus and will love them and serve and grow the body, right? That's why we do those things. So do you need that? Pray for it first, and then start reaching out to do it. And then somebody might actually, when I talked about this, you might just say, you know what, I haven't been a good friend, and I owe some, some, some people or a person an apology. I haven't been very kind. I haven't been very gracious. I've actually been this person that kind of pushes away. And you, you feel that, and you heard that, and the Holy Spirit put this finger on that. And if he did that, you go after them. Restore. Repent. I've had to do this. Man, I'm so sorry I said this. I'm so sorry I did this. Did I make you feel this way? So much healing can come through one conversation. It may take more, but so much healing can start through one conversation. Okay? So there'll be some prayer teams here and there. If you need prayer about anything, get it. And so I'm just going to pray. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are gracious to us that you treat us with so much love, so much patience, so much kindness. Will you help us to pass that along? Will you transform us, Lord Jesus, into the friends that are pleasing to your sight? Will you help us to obey you? And what that looks like, help us, Lord. I ask a blessing on, these, on, the, on my friends here, Lord. Bless this day. Bless us with peace and strength scriptures, put them on our heart. Help us to have a great week of just studying and reading and fellowship and friendship. Bring joy, Lord Jesus, to someone in here that's not feeling much joy. Bless them with joy. Lead us, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray.